0: Morning, everyone. Morning. Morning. Ed, give me the thumbs up. Once we're good, we're good. All right. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 24. All right. So this morning I have the entire chapter. It is the longest chapter in Genesis. So I will barely be scratching the surface of what is in this chapter. I highly encourage you to look at it on your own throughout the week and beyond. But just telling you right now, if I don't say something that you see, it's probably just because I didn't have enough time to go over. It. All right, so let's dig in. Genesis chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, Please put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, perhaps the woman will not be willing to go to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? But Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, and who spoke to me and swore to me saying, to your descendants, I give this land, He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. And if a woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this master. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's open in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time to look at your words, look at what you have revealed to us that you want us to hear today. Lord, please, uh, may the message you have today come through. May everyone hear what they need to hear. And uh, may we learn the lessons that there are so many present in this chapter. In Christ's name, amen. All right. So, if you remember from last week's sermon, Sarah has unfortunately passed away at the age of 127. Abraham is also very old. And based on the time that Sarah passed relative to when she Gave birth to Isaac. We know that Isaac is actually in his late 30s to early 40s, so he's well within marrying age. And so Abraham sees this and notices that this is the time for Isaac to find a bride. Because without a bride, he can't have kids. And without kids, there are no more descendants to fulfill the promises God has made to Abraham. And so Abraham calls his oldest and most trusted servant, the one who has control of everything Abraham has, and gives him this mission. He says specifically, do not take a wife from the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but go to my own family and country and find a bride there. Now, why would Abraham say this specifically? So there's two parts. One is specifically he doesn't want a bride for Isaac from among the Canaanites. And there's a few reasons I can see why Abraham would want this. First one is actually a New Testament principle as well. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14 Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? As believers, we are to be a light to this world. We are not to be shut up and restricting ourselves to only other believers. We are to be going out into the world and sharing God's love. But we have to be careful not to tether ourselves to unbelievers, especially in marriage. We see, uh, we have seen countless examples in the Old Testament specifically of this happening. We have Samson and Solomon. Both of them were great men chosen by God, given extraordinary gifts, and both of them lost their way because they chose to uh, become intimate with women who were not uh, of the children of Israel and not God-fearing. And so Abraham... Seems to at least understand this idea, and he doesn't want to risk that with Isaac. And so he wants a bride who will draw him towards God, not away. And the second point, something I found interesting, is back in Genesis chapter 15, verse 16, in chapter 15, God is basically laid out the history of Israel before it is to happen, including the slavery in Egypt. And so he says after that in verse 16, But in the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. God has revealed to Abraham on some level that the people in the land one day will need to be wiped out, and that they will take the land. And he doesn't want to risk there being any type of family ties to the Canaanites. Because then that gets really messy really fast. And so because of this, he doesn't want there to be any type of connection to the Canaanites, at least not with Isaac. And so that's why he says that specifically. But then he has a second point. He specifically says, not just not from the Canaanites, but from my own family and country. Why would he say this? So first of all, if you um, remember two weeks ago, my father gave the sermon on Abraham and Isaac. Isaac was almost sacrificed. And it ends with revealing to Abraham that his brother Nahor had many children. And because of the age difference between Abraham and Isaac, it would stand to reason that there's a very good chance that there are many women descended from Nahor who would be of marrying age for Isaac. And in fact, we actually, it's not stated that Abraham was told about Rebekah specifically, but Rebekah is mentioned by name, saying that God had a plan even back then for Isaac at this point. And so Abraham, though not knowing specifically about Rebekah, knows that his brother has plenty of, hopefully has plenty of family from whom Isaac can find a bride relatively easily. And it also is convenient that they're far enough away that when the time comes for them to take over the land, there's no family drama because they're far enough away. And something I found interesting as I was thinking about this was, we we will see this later in the chapter, but at this point, why would Abraham specifically stay from his own family? And I would say it's because he knows that's the best chance for finding a godly woman for Isaac. Abraham was a man of faith called by God from the land he was, where he was a brother with Nahor. He lived in the same city. And so it stands to reason if Abraham was a man of faith, Chances are Nahor, maybe not quite the man of faith Abraham was, at least knew and recognized God as the Almighty. And we will see that later in the chapter that his family does. And so Abraham knows this and takes his best chance, knows this is his best chance and goes for it. Now the servant has a question. What if the woman's not willing to come back with me? Do I bring Isaac back to that land? And this isn't the servant being nitpicky or being overly cautious. I think this is a genuine concern. Because, again, he, if he finds a woman, he will be asking her to leave behind everyone and everything she has ever known to go to a place that she's never seen before, marry a man she's never met. That's a lot to ask. And if she's not willing to do that, is it worth calling Isaac to go back to that land? Because it's possible that Isaac will have kids and then those kids will come back. But Abraham says, no, do not do that. He specifically, and I believe this is a part of the reason why Abraham isn't sending Isaac himself. I'm sorry, I almost lost the mic. But, uh, yeah, so Abraham does not want Isaac to be tempted to go to that land and stay in that land. He wants, he knows Isaac needs to stay in this land just as he himself was called to live in the land by God to fulfill the promises he has given. And so We end here with Abraham reveals to the servant that an angel from the Lord will go before him and pave his way. And this is crucial for a few reasons. One is, give me a second while I think this through. (laughs) This isn't one of Abraham's cooked up schemes that he's done over previous chapters. Like saying his wife is actually his sister and trying to stay alive. This is very much of the Lord and of the Lord's will and plan. And this also gives comfort to the servant because he is the oldest and most trusted servant in the household. He's seen everything that Abraham's gone through with God and knows if God is for me, if this is God's will, nothing can stand in my way. And so the servant agrees. He swears to do as Abraham has commanded and goes on his way. So we'll pick up reading in verse 10. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, for all his master's goods were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. Then he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be the young woman to whom I say, Please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. All right. So the servant takes what he needs and leaves immediately. And so then he arrives at the city where he knows Nahor and his family live, but he doesn't go into the city. He doesn't immediately go looking for Nahor's family. And that is because he does not want to be blinded by his own ideas. He wants to stay unbiased as he asks this petition of the Lord to show him the right woman to find for Isaac. And so he stands at the well outside the city before he even meets anyone in the city and makes a petition to God. And so he doesn't say, he doesn't look first for the initial requirements. He looks for God's will and God's plan. He looks for any unbiased information that God himself could only reveal to him. And so he makes this petition, and this petition actually has two purposes that I see. One is that he asks for a sign from God, something that is rare for a woman to offer to water the camels out of her own heart. And so that way he could know that she's the one God wants. But doing this would in fact also show the heart of the woman, to whom he knows Abraham and Sarah would want as a daughter-in-law. A heart of hospitality that Isaac and Sarah have shown time before. And so he makes this request from God, please help me to find the right woman, not just from the right family, but of the right heart and the right spirit. And so, as he's making that, now we finally get to Rebecca. Pick up reading in verse 15. And it happened before he had finished speaking that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin, no man had known her. And he went down to the well, filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So she said, drink, my Lord. Then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished, When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water, and drew for all his camels. And the man, wondering at her, remained silent, so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. Okay, so we have here God working this out. Before the servant's even done making the petition to God, Rebecca comes walking up. And so we have here, for the reader, a uh, little foreshadowing, it reveals that Rebecca meets all of the requirements that you could possibly imagine that if this servant knew all this, he would know she's the one for Isaac. But again, the servant doesn't necessarily know all this at this time. And so the question is, will she fulfill the petition that the servant made to God to find the right woman? And so what's also interesting is that I don't see any indication here that the servant is expecting the first woman to come up to be the one. He's expect. I would guess, he's assuming Okay, I'll probably have to go through four or five women. I'll ask for a drink. They'll probably give me a drink. One or two might be rude and say no. They might say they're busy. But eventually I'll find someone who does this and hopefully she'll be of the right family. But the first woman who comes up goes out of her way to show the hospitality that this servant is looking for. And so what's also funny is Rebecca goes beyond what the servant has asked. She says, I will water your camels until they are finished drinking. Camels drink a lot of water. Between these 10 camels, you could estimate that they could ha- drink up to 20, 250 gallons total. That's a lot of water, and I doubt she, wasn't, she was unaware of how much water she would have to drink, that sh- how much water she would have to draw for the camels to drink. She knew very well what she was getting herself into, and she still offered it. She didn't even offer. She just said, I'm going to do this for you. And so in this, the servant is shocked that moments after he made this request to God, someone comes in and fulfills it. But he is careful for a moment because he asks this of God but never gets a definitive answer. He's the one asking this of God. But God never said, this will be done. And so the servant has to be careful to be sure he's not in his own head thinking, oh, this by, there could be a chance that she is not of the right family, and she just happened to fulfill this. So he hesitates to reveal his true nature until he's sure she is the right one. So now we'll pick up in verse 22. So it was, when the camels had finished drinking, that the man took a golden nose ring, weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrist, weighing ten shekels of gold, and said, Whose daughter are you? Tell me, please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? So she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Moreover, she said to him, We have both straw and feed enough and room to lodge. Then the man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord, and he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. So the young woman ran and told her mother's household these things. All right. so the servant, after knowing that it seems to be re- God is pointing him towards Rebecca, then asks for final confirmation that she is of the right family, but doesn't give anything away. He doesn't want anything to bias her answer. He just wants a straight up answer, whose family are you? And then when she reveals it, he immediately recognizes there's no way, whether the chance is that the first woman to come along to fulfill the petition I have to God is also of the exact family of whom I need to find a bride for Isaac. And in that moment, he realizes only God's sovereignty could have worked everything out this beautifully. And he falls down in worship. It's something I have to ask, do I see that in my own life? Do you see it in your own life? When things work together that only God could have done? Because I have seen God's sovereignty work in my life, but I'm sure it has worked so much more than what I've seen. God has everything planned out. For us. Just as he had a plan for Isaac and Rebekah, he has a plan for each and every one of us. So now we'll continue in verse 29. Now, Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban, and Laban ran out to the man by the well. So it came to pass when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrists, and when he heard the words of his sister Rebekah, saying, Thus the man spoke to me, that he went to the man, and there he stood by the camels at the well, and he said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord, why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the camel For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. Then the man came to the house and he unloaded the camels and provided straw and feed for the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have told about my errand. Now for time's sake, we're going to have to skip down to verse 49. Now, if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me, and if not, tell me, that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to you, either bad or good. Here is Rebekah before you. Take her and go, and let her be your master's son's wife, as the Lord has spoken. And it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard these words, that he worshipped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. Then the servant brought out jewelry of silver, jewelry of gold and clothing, and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. Okay. Okay. So the portion I skipped is simply the servant telling them about Abraham and Isaac and Sarah, how Isaac was born when Sarah was at such an old age, and then recaps everything that's happened in this chapter up to this point. Why does this, why does this chapter specifically have to restate everything that we've just read? And I believe this is because the servant is done hiding things. It shows that he isn't withholding any information from Rebecca or her family and says everything that has come to pass. Once he knows that she is the right woman, that she is of the right family, and she has, by all indication, been pointed to by God, he lays everything on the table, including the loophole, where if she's unwilling to go with him, then he is free from the oath, and she's not go- she is not going to marry Isaac if she refuses it. There's, n- And so with that, we have here the servant being genuine with them. He doesn't want to trick anyone. He doesn't want to have to trick Rebecca into marrying Isaac. He wants it to be a genuine submission to the Lord's will. But it also serves as a purpose to show the family that God has worked this out so perfectly. This has to be God's will. And that's where we end with. After the servant tells everything, the family basically just goes and says, we can't say anything good or bad about it. We can't say, yes, let's go through with it, or no, let's not go through with it. The Lord has done this. We can't say anything good or bad about it. It's just what the Lord wills. And so we see here a final confirmation that this family does revere the Lord God Almighty, that they submit to his plan. And so with that final confirmation, that last I hate to use the word nail, phrase nail in a coffin, but with that final point, the servant absolutely knows she is the right one for Isaac. And so with that, the servant worships, but then he rewards Rebecca and her family for being willing to submit to God's will. He provides jewelry to both Rebecca and her family. And I have to believe just as there was reward here for submitting to God's will, I believe there is always a reward for submitting to God's will. It may not even be in this life. maybe may be in the life to come, but there will always be a reward for submitting to God's plan and God's will. And though these are the physical, tangible rewards in this moment, there is a greater reward. <clears throat> By agreeing to marry Isaac, Rebecca will literally become the mother of Israel, the last woman to whom all 12 tribes of Israel will trace their lineage to. For Rebecca and Isaac will have Jacob and Esau. Jacob will be renamed Israel. And because of his family issues, the only woman to whom all of his children can trace their lineage to is Rebecca. And so by agreeing to this, Rebecca becomes known throughout history. Even the one time she's referenced in the New Testament is as Jacob and Esau's mother. This is what she becomes known for, the mother of Israel. And so there are always rewards to submitting to God's will. They may be, they may take time to manifest themselves. We may not even see them in our lifetime, but there always are. And they will be seen eventually. All right, let's continue on in verse 54. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank and stayed all night. Then they arose in the morning and he said, send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, let the young woman stay with us a few days, at least 10. After that, she may go. And he said to them, do not hinder me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away so that I may go to my master. So they said, we will call the young woman and ask her personally. Then they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah their sister and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become the mother of thousands of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. Then Rebekah and her maids arose, and they rode on the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. Okay, so after staying the night, the servant then wants to go home immediately and bring Rebecca back to Isaac. But the family wants some last minute time with Rebecca. And I believe that's completely reasonable for them to ask. But the servant knows that the longer he stays, the harder it is going to be for Rebecca and the rest of the men who are with him to leave. And I have to ask myself, how often do I put off what I know the Lord wants me to do because I can get to that later. I'll do that another time. I want to enjoy something else now. And the longer I put it off, the easier it is to put off even more until eventually it becomes an afterthought, something that should have been done years ago that still hasn't been done. And so this servant is unwilling to stay any longer. But He recognizes he can't force Rebecca to go. And so he and the family agree to let Rebecca make the decision. So they call her and ask, will you go with the man now? And she agrees. She says, I will go. And so in the end, Rebecca agrees and says goodbye to her loved ones. She knows this is of God's will, and she is fully willing to submit to it and is not willing to hesitate to continue in the past. She doesn't want to stay any longer. She wants to go. She knows this may be the last time she ever sees her family or this land ever again. And she still goes. And this portion last ends with a blessing from, Re- from Rebecca's family on Rebecca and her descendants. And while this is a good blessing, this is a blessing from man. And it, I just wanted to take a moment to compare this blessing to the blessings that God has already bestowed upon Abraham's descendants, who will become Rebecca's descendants. So in here it says, uh, the first one is that the mother of thousands of ten thousands, mother of thousands of ten thousands, that her descendants be numerous, but still numberable. God has already promised Abraham back in chapter 15, verse 5 of Genesis, that your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky without count. Now again, this uh, blessing upon Rebecca says that may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. And actually, this seems to be a common blessing for God gives the exact same blessing upon Abraham and his descendants. But he goes even further. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, he says, May those those who bless you will be blessed, and those who curse you will be cursed. To possess the gates of the enemies requires conflict and for the descendants of Rebecca to have victory over their enemies. God's blessing isn't so. God's blessing is the moment that they go against you, whatever they throw at you, their curses, will immediately be turned back on them. You don't have to do anything for that to happen. There will not need to be any conflict for this to be true. Anything that your descendants are cursed with will immediately be turned back on them. And then lastly, and I believe most importantly, Throughout this blessing, a blessing given by humans, they say may. May your descendants be this and may your descendants do that. Not so with God's blessings. All of God's blessings, at least the ones that I could find, they all start with will. Your descendants will be this. Your descendants will do that. No may. And that's because this blessing is by humans and humans can't guarantee the future. But God can. Humans like to make plans, but they rarely work out. But God's plans are absolute, they do not change, and they are perfect. And I just want to take a moment to recognize, thank God, that we are not part of man's plan to get into heaven, of we may get into heaven if we're good enough, but we belong to God's plan of we will get into heaven. For all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Not may, not can, not should, will. And so we'll finish off the chapter in verse 62. <clears throat> now Isaac came from the way of beir Lahai Roy, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. For he dwelt in the south. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening, and he lifted his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. Then Rebekah lifted her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel. For she had said to the servant, Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took a veil and covered herself, and the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So we have here one last working together of God's plan. And that is Isaac just happening to be out in the field meditating from the direction that the caravan carrying Rebekah is coming from. So he's the first one to greet her and the servant. And so Isaac gets to meet his bride before she even enters the camp. And now Rebekah... The moment that she sees Isaac and is told he's the one who she is to marry, immediately dismounts from the camel and wears a veil. Now, all sources that I could find indicate that this veil was a cultural sign of reverence for her future husband. But I see something even deeper. I see an p- approach of humility with confidence. She is neither proud nor self-loathing. She doesn't think of herself as worthy. She doesn't think, oh, I'm entitled to this. I have been chosen by God. Therefore, I can do whatever I want. There's nothing that can take me out of God's plan for being Isaac's bride. She humbles herself and wears the veil as a symbol of reverence to him. But she also stands up and approaches him without hesitation. She doesn't loathe herself or think, oh, I'm not worthy of this honor. And unfortunately, this is the problem that most non-believers have and why they can't come to salvation because they either think of themselves too highly or too proud to say, I need help into salvation. I'm good enough to earn my way in. Or they loathe themselves so much to say, I am unworthy. How can God forgive a sinner like me? And so we see here a perfect picture in Rebecca of finding the right balance of humility with confidence. We are not entitled to salvation. We are not entitled to being a part of God's family. But he gives us freely, and we can enter it confidently, without hesitation, without feeling unworthy. And so now Isaac gets to hear this amazing story of how God worked everything out so perfectly for Rebecca to become his bride. And the moment he hears that, he takes her to be his wife without hesitation, he doesn't Wait, he doesn't think, okay, maybe this is the Lord's will, maybe not. No, he immediately recognizes it as God's will and follows through with it. And because of this, we have a perfect timing, not only for Isaac to marry Rebekah, for them to have their children who will be the descendants of Abraham and fulfill all of the promises that God has bestowed, but also we reveal here that Rebekah comes to Isaac just after he's lost his mother. And as I mentioned, Isaac's in his late 30s, early 40s. And so that's kind of old, but that's still very young for a man to lose his mother. And so we have here God working all things out perfectly, not just for the bloodline to continue, but also for Isaac to be comforted after the loss of his mother. And so one last point I wanted to make. A comparison, just as... Rebecca was to be Isaac's bride, so we as the church are to be the bride of Christ. And there are a lot of similarities in this passage that I see. First of all, Rebecca was given a choice. When she was revealed, Hi, hi, I'm the servant of Abraham. Isaac's looking to marry someone, and I believe you are the one. She's given the way out. The servant specifically says, If you're not willing to go with me, I can't force you to. I'm released from this oath. And just as we have a choice in salvation, John 1, 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. All we have to do is receive him, but we have to receive him. Rebecca went willingly, having never met Isaac nor seen the lamb. In John 20, verse 29, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And for those of any of you who might not be familiar with this passage, Jesus has rose, risen again from the dead, appeared to all of the disciples except for Thomas, and then Thomas doesn't believe and says, I won't believe unless if I see Jesus is in the flesh, and then Jesus appears to him in the flesh. But Jesus says, blessed even more are those who believe without having seen me. And we as believers have this blessing. We have never seen Christ in the flesh. We have the Holy Spirit. But we have not seen Christ incarnate in this world. And yet we have, and we have never seen the perfection of heaven yet. And yet we have agreed to spend eternity with him in heaven. Rebecca willingly left her family and land and didn't delay or look back. In Luke chapter 9 verse 62. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. I know I'm guilty of this, but I'm sure I'm not the only one. But do we look at the lives of unbelievers and, be, and are jealous of them or are jealous of the lives we had before we came to Christ? Because to do so is an insult to God. It's saying that what God has given, which is so much better, isn't quite enough. I also want, What I used to have, or what these people have without God. And then one more comparison Isaac loved Rebecca just as Christ loved the church. But I want to point out here one key difference Isaac and Christ. Isaac was a man with his human limitations, Christ was God incarnate, and he had no limitations. Isaac didn't go to Mesopotamia, likely so that he wouldn't be tempted. But Christ came to this earth and endured the temptations from the devil and didn't give in. Isaac didn't have to sacrifice anything other than the clothing and the jewelry that were given to Rebekah and her family, which, if we were to understand Abraham's wealth correctly, likely was not very much. A drop in the speck of Abraham's wealth, which would soon be Isaac's. But Christ sacrificed his very life for us so that we could become his bride. His bride. And lastly, the marriage between Isaac and Rebekah was a human marriage which typically only lasts until you die, till death do us part. But the marriage between Christ and his bride, it doesn't happen until after we die and then it lasts for eternity. There is no end to it. There is no until such and such a time. No, the marriage between Christ and the church is for eternity and praise God Almighty for that. Let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time to look at your word. Please, Lord, I ask that you open the hearts of all who have heard it, that they may hear what you have to put on their hearts, that you may show them what they need to see, either through the lessons of Abraham, the servant, Rebecca, or Isaac, that we may better our lives to better follow you, to better serve you, to better submit to your plan, to your will, to your purpose for our lives. For we know that your plan is greater than anything we could possibly come up. And so we give you all the honor and glory in Christ's name. Amen. Lord bless you this week.